Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Joining us now from Florida, the purveyor of BernardGoldberg.com, very fine uh, website. I will be on that website being interviewed, grilled mercilessly by That's Mr. Right. Goldberg. I believe I'm going to be on there Wednesday, right? You put me on Wednesday? Wednesday, correct. You'll be grilled by a white, straight, Jewish male who apparently, I didn't know this, is an oppressor. Um, I'm an oppressor. Wait, does, that mean I'm you're, oppressor. does that mean you're bringing a guest host in? <laughs> okay, so I'm looking forward to that grilling, which will uh, take place on Wednesday. Now, I discount 18 to 24 Americans, even though I've got two of them. I've got two of them. All right. But and one of them really is astute. The other is a little shaky. <laughs> But I, they don't know anything. Think back, Goldberg, when you were 18 to 24. I was horrifying. I was just horrified. I should have been deported I during was, the 18 to 24 group. Well, the, the problem with the 18 to 24 group is that they're not going to be 18 to 24 forever. They, and they're going to carry the, this anti-Semitic garbage with them when they get older. You think so? That, you don't think they'll evolve out of that as many in the Vietnam era did? Yeah, that's that's how it usually works. But who who would have thought that, I forget the percentage you gave of young people who, who think the the massacre, the slaughter on October 7th wasn't, wasn't a, a terrorist attack and the percentage that thinks Jews are oppressors, who would have thought th those numbers would exist? So, yes, yeah, some some will wise up, but a lot won't. Now, I think that most Americans are not anti-Semitic. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Totally agree. 
in your career, you've been everywhere, um, done everything. You rival me as far as I've been to 85 countries. I think you've probably been close to that, right? I've been to a lot of places. Okay. Not, not India and, and not in the Arab world. I've been to Israel, but yeah, I've been to a lot of places. Okay. In your experience at CBS News coming on up, working your way up to the correspondent position, and then through now, have you, Bernie Goldberg, experienced anti-Semitism? Can I begin earlier than CBS in yeah, high sure. school? Sure. So, so I had one, I think America is a great place and it's a great place for Jewish people. So I, I, I may disappoint you in that. I don't have too many examples, but uh, in high school, one kid, one kid uh, confronted me in the cafeteria <laughs> Uh, about something I wrote in the student newspaper that he didn't like, and he used an anti-Jewish slur at me, and it, it almost became uh, a, a brawl, like a you know, like an Animal House <laughs> brawl in the cafeteria. But a Christian friend of mine intervened on my behalf and got between us before it got out of hand. But that was only one incident. But when I was at CBS, and it wasn't other CBS people. Uh, there was a guy named J.B. Stoner. I don't know if you know the name, Bill. Yeah, he's a Nazi. A world-class bigot. I mean, right. he said things in public that I wouldn't repeat on your show in public about black no, I know, people. I know he is, right. Okay, and, and he represented James Earl Ray, and the FBI suspected J.B. Stoner of being involved in the murder of uh, Martin, Martin King. So I'm... Um, He's a lawyer and he's covering uh, somebody who kidnapped the publisher of the big newspaper in Atlanta. So we go to his house and he come, meets us in the yard and the cameraman, a, a good old boy from Nashville says, I got it. I'll introduce everybody. I don't want, I don't want your name going out here. So he introduces the sound man, the light man. He introduces himself as John Smith. That was his real name. And then he introduces me as, and here's our correspondent, Bernie Golden. <laughs> J.B. Stoner goes into his house. You ready for this? Goes into his house and hands us bumper stickers. This is during the Arab oil boycott. The bumper sticker says, oil, yes, Jews, no. Oil, yes, Jews, no. And one of the people, one of my friends in the crew, I assume it was, without my knowledge, puts it on the bumper sticker, my rear bumper sticker, and I'm driving around Atlanta for three or four days. <laughs> you should have gotten that guy, boy. I hope you got him I, I uh, for doing that. Well, I realized it, but I, I you know, I'm I, actually I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that you didn't run up against a lot of anti-Semitism in your life. I believe that Americans most of them, I'd say 80% of them, are not anti-Semitic. But the media drives this anti-Semitic thing. You know it's driving it. It's concentrating on the nuts at Cornell and at Columbia, at Harvard, at Penn, at MIT. It zeroes in, gives them all kinds of airtime. But the good college kids get zilch. They get nothing. So it's skewed. Am I wrong? No, you're hitting on a very important point, actually, and, and that is those students you're talking about are in, they're ingrained with DEI, diversity, inclusion or equity. equity and inclusion, which is which is a farce in and of itself. 
But but DEI's philosophy basically comes down to this. It's as simple as there are there are two groups, the oppressed group and the oppressor group. If you're white and you're a straight white male or Jewish, even female, you're in the oppressor group. And and the difference between the, the anti-Jewish bigots on the right, the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, we know that they're idiots. These people are professors, they're administrators at elite colleges, they're students at elite colleges, and they could say all they want, that they're not anti-Jewish, they're anti-Israel. But when they say nothing, absolutely nothing, about the atrocities that go on daily in the Arab world, where if you're gay, you could be thrown off a building, if you're a woman, you don't have rights, they say nothing about that. And the only time they go out and demonstrate is when it's Israel, the only Jewish state on the planet. So their, their contention that they're anti-Israel, not anti-Jewish, I don't think so. I think they're anti-Jewish. And it's from the progressive elite left. No doubt about it in my mind. From the very beginning, the progressive movement has been anti-Israel. All right, Bernie, uh, I will see you on Wednesday on BernardGoldberg.com. I'm ready for the for the uh, whatever you throw at me. It should are be you, a very interesting deal. Are you ready? Uh, uh, do I look not ready? Okay. Fair All enough. right. I'm ready. Okay. Thanks for helping us out. And you have a happy holiday down there. Okay. We really appreciate yeah. it. Merry Christmas to you and all the people listening to us. Thank you. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been delivering on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of America's greatest heroes. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our communities. Heroes like Bristol, Connecticut Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. After responding to a domestic violence incident, he sustained fatal gunshot wounds. He left behind his expectant wife and two children. Thanks to the generosity of people like you, Tunnel to Towers paid the mortgage on the DeMonte family home, lifting a financial burden. As his loved ones mourned the decorated officer's loss, they welcomed a miracle, the child he would never get to meet. So many families need your help. Please help America's heroes and their young families. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 95 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Sorting through your expenses, estimated payments, and all those tax deductions can be overwhelming. Might even lead to a failure to file and failure to pay penalties that pile up on your tax debt. The attorneys at Tax Network USA have been lifesavers for many Americans. Their team has successfully saved clients more than $1 billion in tax debt, a billion. Whether you're in the hole for 10,000 or 10 million, they are ready to help. The expert attorneys and tax professionals at Tax Network USA are equipped to secure the best settlement for you and help you resolve all tax cases. So please go to taxnetworkusa.com bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. These debt relief programs are expected to change, so get started now. Please go to taxnetworkusa.com bill, or you can call 1-800-245-6000. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition.
Let's now turn to the Christian view of anti-Semitism, and I'm going to bring in perhaps the most eloquent, uh, high-profile spokesperson for the Catholic faith in America. His name is Bishop Robert Barron. He's out of the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, Minnesota. He has founded a group called Word on Fire that Catholics read and pay attention to. All right, Bishop, you just heard uh, Bernie Goldberg. Now, when I was in Catholic school, um, sometimes in solitary confinement by punishment from the nuns, um, uh. I was taught that anti-Semitism was a sin against the Catholic Church, Christian religion, against Jesus God. I was taught it was a fairly significant sin. Does that hold? Yeah, that's true. I mean, prejudice against any group would be a sin, but in a very special way, I'd say prejudice against Jews. Uh, Pius XI said that we Christians are all spiritually Semites, that we're, we're all Jews by our spiritual uh, inheritance. Jesus, we say, is the fulfillment of Israel. Vatican II, in its statement, Nostra Aetate, made a very strong statement against uh, any form of anti-Semitism. So I think the nuns that taught you were right on target, and they've been uh, confirmed by the church's teaching ever since. Now, there has been controversy between Israel and um, the Catholic Church, particularly uh, Pope Francis, who um, doesn't want Israel to... Um, wage war against the Palestinians. He just came out yesterday because there were two Catholics who were killed, uh, allegedly by Israeli forces, but we, it's so foggy in there, it's very hard to tell. And then when Jewish people hear that, the Pope saying, criticizing the Netanyahu government, some of them believe that Pope's not sympathetic to the Jewish religion at all. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. When he was in Argentina, he was very close to the Jewish community and counts a number of, of prominent rabbis among his friends. I mean, I don't think it's true at all that he's personally anti-Semitic. I think what he's saying, Bill, is Israel has a right to self-defense. That's part of Catholic social teaching. But also, as you know, in the just war theory, in the waging of war, we have to be both discriminating and uh, proportional. And so I think he, what he's urging is that those two principles be honored. Um, you know, it's always a prudential judgment uh, to what degree we're legitimately proportional and discriminating. But as I read him, I think he's just insisting upon that part of, of the church's social teaching. Yeah, and there is a, uh, in the Catholic Church, a righteous defense that you're allowed to defend yourself yeah. against the evildoers. And I, I mean, look, there's nobody on earth that knows more about terrorism than I do because I wrote the book Killing the Killers and Hamas, yeah. top of the chart. Top of the chart. Yeah. Know. Let's shift into Christmas, as you know, Bishop, and, and I expect to get to heaven because of this. I saved Christmas in America. I don't know <laughs> where you were at that point, but it was a huge campaign in the early part of the century for retailers and towns and counties to banish the word Christmas. And we went on Fox News night after night and we just put up that this department store was ordering their employees not to say the word Christmas. This town was taking the crash out and all of that stuff. And we won because of money, because the people listening to me and I got a huge amount of attention. All right. Wouldn't go to the stores that I named that wouldn't um, say yeah. the word Christmas. So we won. And 
here in the Northeast, Christmas is back. Almost everywhere you go, it's Merry Christmas. They say Happy Holidays, too, but Christmas dominates. Is that now over, that controversy about not saving Christmas? Is that over? I hope so. I, I think you're right. It's changed in the course of, of my lifetime. I think in the last you know many years, we watched it move from a certain antipathy toward a greater acceptance. And you're quite right. And you know, the way you fought it years ago, that was a fight worth having because it was a stupid position to say that somehow Christians have to hide their Christianity in the public forum. As you well know, there's nothing in the founding documents or in the ethos of our country that would dictate that we have to hide our religion in the public square. Uh, that we don't have an officially recognized religion in our country, sure, that's one thing. But then say for a second that we have to hide our, our, our religion publicly. So that was a good fight to have. I'm glad we had it. And I think one of the most important things today is that religious people can come together in the public square and have a, a real conversation, a real argument. There's a middle ground between religious violence and a kind of religious indifferentism. And it's called religious engagement and argument in the public square. That's what I'm for. Okay. The Christian point of view is that we honor Jesus's birthday. And it wasn't on December 25th. You know, you read Killing Jesus, and we did the whole history there. But it's a nice day to have it. It's dark and cold in many places, particularly where you are in Minnesota. It's a nice, yeah. nice day to have in and in, in a season. But the worthiness of Christmas was picked up by U.S. Grant, the president of the United States, who said, I'm designating this day as a federal holiday out of respect, not pushing religion, but out of respect for a theology that has helped the United States. And it, it ha if everybody, I say to my non-Catholic friends and even the people who hate Catholics because of the scandals and other things, I say, look, if everybody followed what the Nazarene put forth, wouldn't have any wars, wouldn't have any strife, would we? And why no, should that enough. be honored? Why shouldn't that be honored? And that's what we're doing here in America. Well, I think too, you know, the church fathers summed up Christianity with the phrase, God became man that man might become God. And what they meant was by this great act of the incarnation, God's inviting deification, that we can become sharers in God's nature. Well, there is a political implication of that, because that's where human dignity is grounded. Yes, in our intelligence and our will and our freedom and so on, but ultimately in our destiny, that we're destined to be citizens in heaven. And from that destiny comes our dignity. And I would say that, that any healthy democracy has to rest finally upon a keen sense of human dignity which is why I would link Christmas and the great claim that it makes to the ideals of our democracy. Well, that's what the Founding Fathers did. It was a brawl between uh, Patrick Henry and his crew that wanted the United States to be designated a Christian country, and Ben Franklin and Madison and Jefferson, as I write about in Killing the Witches. I'm going to send you that book. You need to read that book, uh, Bishop. Because I haven't Galilee. read that one yet. Yeah, that, that's a good one for you, because it was a real tug in the beginning of this uh, country about how to handle the religious aspect. And, and it all stemmed from Salem. It all stemmed from that yeah. horror that, that went on there. So I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, your view, Christmas in America, 2023. Go. 
Well, I think it's important for us as Americans, as as Christians, to celebrate uh, Christmas for the reason I just uh, articulated. There's no greater guarantee of our of our dignity than that God has reached out to us, has become small, that he might raise us up. That basic conviction, I mean, whether you're explicitly Christian or not, that basic conviction, I think, is essential to our uh, democracy. When we lose a sense of God's embrace of us in pretty short order, you move toward totalitarianism. You move toward an indifference to human life. But see, I, I, I'm with Tom Holland here, the great uh, the English historian, that so many of our values, whether we know it or not, are grounded in these Christian claims. And one of them is the incarnation, which leads to deification. That's where our sense of human dignity, I think, ultimately comes from. All right, Bishop, thanks very much for helping us out. And we uh, once again thank Bernie Goldberg, one of our best discussions of the year, I think. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now, The Truth. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Let's, uh, I asked for a pollster today, and I wanted somebody different um, because, you know, we, we like to get a wide variety of voices on No Spin News. So we got um, Sean Bartley. He's coming to us from Ashland, Ohio. He is a pollster for American Pulse Research and Polling. Okay, uh, my number is from Monmouth, and I, again, I'm, I'm not endorsing the Monmouth poll. Um, it's not been great in the past, but does that coincide with what you're seeing? Yeah, we're, uh, we're seeing these kind of numbers uh, everywhere. Wall Street Journal had uh, uh, President Biden at his lowest uh, approval rating uh, in the history of their uh, survey with him as president. Uh, our uh, American Pulse polling have sh- has shown the same thing. Um, really, his uh, Biden's approval rating tracking with the approval rating on the economy. Uh, and you you got right to it. Uh, the The economic numbers, specifically for what people are feeling at the gas pump uh, and at the grocery store, those aren't changing. And it's what they're going to experience here in the next uh, couple of weeks and through the end of the year. That's what they're going to have when they uh, uh, when they're uh, having people over for Christmas dinner. It's what they're going to have when they're traveling, um, and it's what they're going to have uh, on the inflation numbers on the Mammoth poll. Is what they're going to have when they pay for Christmas uh, either this year or next year. Okay. Uh, um, I, as I said, I don't expect the uh, spending uh, problem for the American public to get any better, but. You have a situation now where we're stair-stepping to the conventions in uh, the summer. So Iowa looks like a lock for uh, President Trump, former President Trump right now. Is that what you guys have? Yeah, that's uh, that's what we're seeing everywhere. Uh, if you go to the uh, Des Moines Register poll, um, uh, which is considered the gold standard out there, it shows uh, President Trump actually in their December poll at over 50 percent for the first right. time okay so let's uh, assume that trump wins uh along the lines of what the des moines register is saying that means DeSantis has got to go right because DeSantis made his stand in iowa 
And he's not going to get any money to run his campaign if he gets whacked in Iowa, which would it look like he would. Is that what you expect to happen? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that you're going to see is all the numbers have shown uh, Nikki, Nikki Haley gaining on that second place uh, yeah. that uh, that used to be the, the DeSantis spot uh, in Iowa in particular. And then you go to New Hampshire. Um, she's the clear second place person. Uh, you go to South Carolina where she used to be governor. She's in second place again. So Okay, I don't um, expect Haley to be in second place in Iowa. I think DeSantis will beat her. But yeah. I think that, that Trump will want, win so dominant. Now, DeS DeSantis gets out of the race and he's going to have to. Most of those voters are going to go to Trump, I think. Yeah. So, right? Uh, so the DeSantis American, crew goes over to Trump. Yeah. In our American polls, uh, polling, we asked, who's your second place choice of Republican primary voters? And uh, the second place choice of DeSantis voters uh, was Donald Trump. Um, right. And Nikki Haley at that time really wasn't registered. So that's what them, the media so. is not telling anybody that exactly. the DeSantis thing in Iowa coming up January 15th, very, very quickly, um, could very well help Donald Trump. Now, New Hampshire is not a friendly state to Trump. Um, Christie has banked everything there. She's not going to make it. Haley, I think, will do well in New Hampshire. I think she'll, and then the media will get behind Haley uh, after that. And then they go on, um, I think it's South Carolina next. Is that what you said? South Carolina? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then South Carolina's Trump territory. But Haley mm -hmm. is a favorite daughter there as the governor of the state. Without DeSantis, DeSantis voters go to Trump. Trump should win that pretty handily. So here's the question, Sean. Yes. Is it all over after South Carolina? Is that it? Then Trump. Well, you know, in our in our uh, in in our most recent poll of Republican primary voters, seventy percent say that uh, uh, that they think Donald Trump is the nominee. So uh, even people who aren't voting for him, so, uh, yeah, they believe the, And the bookies uh, in London, <laughs> Ladbroke, they got Trump, you know, big to nominee. Final question for you. Yep. Um, you, you know the Democrats, they're pretty sophisticated in their, uh, the way they run their campaigns. Everybody knows Biden is in severe, severe trouble. Is there any indication of a number two if Biden does submit his resignation for health reasons, which is what he would do? Is there any indication of who would then move in from your polling? Yeah, so we we've asked that of folks like who would you want to see first? Uh, you know, really a third of uh, only a third of voters definitely want Biden to stay uh, at the top of the ticket, and then a third say that they definitely want somebody else. And when asked who they want, um, uh, Gavin Newsom is somebody who jumps up there. Um, but the you know it's really shaping up just the way that they've created the uh, the primary calendar uh, that we're talking. The, the only way that they're going to be able to change nominees at this point is to do it at convention. Yeah. Uh, and that is yeah, the primary. Uh, and, you can't get on the ballot. You can't. Yeah. I know that. But that's the goal. Again, go into the convention with the delegates. Don't have Biden there and they'll elect somebody. Newsom's not very strong. I don't think he will be strong. He's run California into the ground, but that's just my opinion. Hey, Sean, have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for helping us out. Really appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. 
So I looked around for a uh, criminologist in uh, this area, and we found a good one, Dr. John Eterno. He uh, teaches at Malloy University on Long Island. He was a captain, retired a captain in NYPD in 2004. He joins us now from Rockville Center. Um, did, am I saying your name right, Eterno? Is that correct? Yeah, that's Dr. fine, Bill. Okay. All right, so you're, you were on the job for 20 years. I mean... And in the time you were there, you saw the worst of it, the crack wars. And then you saw Giuliani and Bloomberg, two mayors, pretty much turn it around so that the, the bad guys were on the run. Now it's arced back to the bad guys are ruling the streets. What is the essential problem in New York City as you see it? New York City has a number of problems. First, I think the mayor needs to get more behind the police. His uh, rhetoric at times is uh, backward. He needs to stand behind the police. Judges need to stand up behind the police, but most of all, politicians. Uh, there are a number of things going on in New York City, one of them being the uh, city council is passing a bill that uh, they want police to record every single incident this is just crazy. Uh, every yeah, single thing. It's Anytime insane. someone approaches what, you, they want you Let me explain it, doctor. So the liberal city council in New York, any interaction that a police officer has with a civilian, police officer's got to go back to the precinct and write it up, which takes them off the street. NYPD is undermanned as it is. Uh, and Mayor Adams, me, who's a former police officer himself, may even cut the force down from here to pay for the migrants. I mean, this is so insane. But when the police union won't stand up and say all of this crazy political stuff is putting our officers in danger, doctor, can you figure out why that man wouldn't do that? I don't know. Hearn? I mean, Hearn you'd have to ask him, but in my view, I can't this ask is something him. you really need to advertise. You've got to get on every program you possibly can and let people know how difficult the job being a police officer is, particularly in a democracy. The officers are the front line of democracy at work. This is what they do. And when they get attacked in a, in a subway for something as minimal as you know smoking, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's an affront to the public, not just an affront to the officers themselves. This is an affront to democracy. You know, okay. when officers in the street get, get attacked like this, this, that, this that's is That's true, because the last line of defense, the savages and the folks are the police. Did you feel in physical danger when you were on the job, doctor? Absolutely. There were times where I've gone after people with guns, knives, uh, people that uh, spit at me. But, but today, it, it's but what, very what different. I'm trying to say when politicians, is, you, when politicians, at that point don't, in time... At that point in time, you knew you'd get backed up by your union and, and most of the time by the police chiefs, right? Kelly and Brad and these people. 100%, Bill. Right. 100%. I knew now, all the time that, that, that the no. people behind me would back me up. I knew the union would stand behind me. And most of the politicians, I'm not going to say all of them, but most of them stood behind the police, particularly uh, the state. Uh, many of these officers, something like bail reform was just unconscionable. People wouldn't even think of that. And letting these these uh, two thugs uh, get out on on 
being released on their own recognizance. This this is crazy. They are violent, and it's a, it's a problem not just for police, but for the public and being safe. Just walking in the streets and walking in a subway, we don't have that protection that that we should feel from our politicians, from our police leaders, from our union leaders. We need that protection. We need that. It's a difficult job as it is, but not to have that backing is unconscious. It is. It, it, police, it is. I, as a journalist, as a journalist who covered this city for decades, I've never seen this before. I've never seen a union president run and not stick up for his guys. You can spit in the face of a police officer now in New York City. You can curse at them, push them, nothing. You weren't even being brought in for that. These guys wailed on the cops and, and beat them. And they were in for maybe three hours, no bail, out doing whatever they want to do. So you got to feel, and this is the last question, the people on the job, the cops on the job, they know nobody has their back. Last word. Yeah, there is no doubt that police officers is the front line of democracy. Unfortunately, they have no choice. They're out there. It's a tough, tough job. And unfortunately for them, they don't feel back. And they need to feel that backing of the public, of politicians, and of their and own And it's not leaders. happening. And that's why they're all leaving en masse. Hey, Doctor, Merry Christmas. Thanks for helping us out. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Merry it. Christmas, Bill. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. So joining us now from Washington is the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Almost 17 years in the House of Representatives, representing the Bakersfield District of California. So you're a busy guy. We really appreciate you taking time. Just today, Corinne Jean-Pierre called you a MAGA fanatic and uh, all of that. And the context was that uh, the budget hearings are coming up. And um, there's some pressure on the Biden White House to at least make a compromise with Republicans to get a budget done. Let Walk me through the process. It, it looks like the last time you met with President Biden was February 1st. Is that true? That's true. And February 1st, I went to sit down with him. We're, we're talking about the debt ceiling. The budget is a whole different issue. The debt ceiling is, for your viewers, is like giving your child a credit card. They charged it all the way up. You hit the limit. You just raise the limit. You're responsible for paying what they charged on it. But do you just raise the limit or do you look at what they're spending before you do that? Now, America has hit their limit. We're at $31 trillion in debt. We've, we've never been this high with the percent of GDP. Our debt is so large, it's bigger than our economy, plus 20%. We've only been in this situation during World War II. Uh, and so and the real question- the reason, the reason I mentioned the budget is because you can't get a budget unless you guys agree on how much yeah. government spending is going to go forward. And the trade, exactly. I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you will raise uh, the debt limit in return for assurances that the next 10 years there will be a cap on spending. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. We will raise the debt limit. We need to raise the debt limit. But would you just raise the debt limit without looking how you're spending? No, I mean, no. We'll Nobody watching yeah. this program. <laughs> Nobody. Look. The Democratic Party will just spend into oblivion. That's what they do. And the Republican Party wants fiscal restraint. Voters can choose what they want. So you, you talk to Biden in person February 1st. No more meetings. 
Have you talked to him on the phone about it? No, he hasn't called me. Now, I've, I've run into him other times. Like the no, next that's all right. All right. I'm just, I just want yeah. the structure. If you want yeah. to get to Joe Biden, how does that happen? How do your people put you together? Who's controlling access to him in the White House? Well, you know, we've talked to, he's got representatives that uh, work for him and they just say they won't meet with us. So it's really awkward. In Can that you give situation. me a name? Is that Susan Rice saying that? Who's right? Who's saying? No, no, it's, it's not Susan Rice. It's uh, he's got representatives that come to the Capitol that are his ledge people. I've had my chief of staff talk to his people. And uh, I've told the president, I sat down with him at we had St. Patrick's Day lunch. Um, I said, Mr. President, we should get together again. And he keeps telling me, like he saw me at the um, prayer breakfast the day after our first meeting, we're going to get together. He went to the Democrats' congressional retreat, and he says, I've got a meeting with Kevin. The only problem is he's never scheduled one with me. Well, he so doesn't I've been know. very open. <laughs> he doesn't know what meetings he has. With. All right. I don't want to, I, I disparaged him before you came on the air. Not in a personal way, but I don't think he's a good president. In fact, I think he's the second worst president in our history next to James Buchanan. Um, anyway, let's get into the uh, there are three House investigations that my vast audience are very interested in. Number one, do you follow these investigations yourself closely? Closely, but I don't manage them. I trust people. I believe in the Jim Collins good to great. I find the okay, right. So you're, you're not right micromanaging seat. it, but you're in I touch. do not micromanage it. I okay. touch. We we keep in touch the chairs and we meet, but they make the decision. So the oversight committee is looking into Hunter Biden and the source of his income abroad and whether or not then Vice President Joe Biden got anything from that. Can you tell yes. my audience who really needs to be updated? Yes. How far along is this investigation and what do you think of it? I think this investigation is going exactly correctly. I give a lot of credit to the chairman, James Comer, and what he's going about doing in his own knowledge through the financial markets and through banking. He systematically, and the, and the frustration that some of your viewers will have is, they want information quickly. But one thing you always want to do when you're investigating something is making sure you're crossing the T's, dotting the I's. You're not jumping at something. You're actually looking and reassuring and testing, is this true? And just last week, and the real problem we have is the Treasury has fought us all along the way for us to get information. The way they treated when Democrats were in the majority, much different. So Comer just went down when they wouldn't give them some of the bank statements. He said, okay, I'll come to Treasury. You don't need to send them to me. And it's appalling that the more we're finding, and since we began this investigation, what we have found so far is more of Biden's family has been being paid. And what's very interesting you're finding is the foreign areas that this money has been coming from. And it's always coming to one entity, then going and paying the Biden family. So we're continuing to follow wherever the money takes us. And it... It might not be, get your answer tomorrow, but at the end of the day, we will follow it wherever it takes us and give the American public exactly what we find in the knowledge. All right. Well, let's, I'm glad to hear that because we, the people, deserve to know what exactly. the deuce is going on. The Judiciary Committee, uh, Jim Jordan, is after Alvin Bragg because he indicted former President Trump. 
So a judge ruled in favor of uh, Jordan and Bragg has to come to Washington to testify in front of the committee. Is that um, something that you are aware of? What is the direction of the questioning going to be? Do you know? Yes. Yeah, so I, I work with Jim Jordan closely. And what it is, is Alvin Bragg is using federal money. Now, we didn't say Alvin Bragg. We didn't subpoena Alvin Bragg to come in. We went and subpoenaed another individual who used to be a prosecutor with Alvin Bragg, left being a prosecutor, had written a book. And when we so, uh, so, you, so Bragg to isn't going to show up. It's the guy who wrote the book. His name is Columbo yeah. Palumbo, right? Palumbo, yeah. is that his name? Yes. Okay, so he's yeah, going to come in. But Alvin Bragg, but Alvin Bragg went out to block us from talking. To yeah, him. I know. This is a man that's but what is the worthiness of what is the worthiness of Palumbo coming in who hates Trump? Well, this is the one. What you do in any investigation is you get all your information, and before you want to, what we're trying to find is how much federal dollars. What did they plan? Did, was this all political in the background? So what you're trying to find in the, it is all the facts that you can have before you get to the individual of where you want but to So ask Bragg might be called down. I, I would assume he could, that he, he could he's going to he's going to happen. Now the yeah. third one is the the border and the oversight committee and homeland security. This is perhaps the most outrageous situation other than inflation in this whole country. 6.6 million migrants estimated to have entered the country under Biden's administration and record numbers of hard narcotics coming across the border as well. Mayorkas is an embarrassment. Every time he gets up there, he doesn't know he's this and that. It's hard to believe that the Biden administration would be this incompetent, but there's got to be a reason why they are allowing the narcotics and the migrants in. Do you know the reason? Look, I don't know the exact reason. I could speculate a lot, but that you're you're 100 percent right that this is the, one of the most biggest problems we have because our border is not. We don't have operational control of our border. I've been to almost every avenue of it, and each one is different depending upon what cartel controls it. If you go to Tucson, Arizona, well, this is the highest number percentage of Godaways. The people who come across. They wear the exact same thing because the Sinaloa cartels they have to pay. They wear camouflage outfits. They have rug on their shoes. It has the most gotaways because it's a vast. And you've got a border situation that we'd have balloons to go up to be able to monitor and see them. This administration has now cut them to try to lower their numbers. But yeah, these are not I, I individuals understand. who run up. But you don't it have any no why behind it. I, I just don't understand Look, it. Why would you do I, this? Why would you allow more Americans Why? to die every single day? The fentanyl that's coming here. And Bill, this is what I think people really need to have to think about. You know, the fentanyl comes from China. And I had this discussion with the president on February 1st. I said, why don't you call President Xi and tell him to end this and that you take real action about it? Because what they're doing is it's the number one killer of people between the ages of 18 and 45. I want your viewers to think for a moment. What do you do between the ages of 18 and 45? This is when you reproduce. This is your most productive year in business, but this is also the age group that defends us in the military to defend our freedom. And they're destroying it. 300 people a day will die from this. Yeah, I know. And but it, look, she is going to do sick. it. With, he, he doesn't care about that. It's Biden. But I will tell you this. Care. In the last administration, President Trump personally called she 
and we found the chemicals got stopped. But now these cartels, they don't have to wait to have a budget negotiation to know where they're going to be funded. They're making billions of dollars. Sure, they're they don't, controlling, they don't have any funding but they're controlling problem. our southern border. Okay, and, let's shift And the out. president knows it. Yeah, but, but why is he allowing it? And we can't get an answer to that. I'm not asking you to speculate, by the way. I don't think yeah. that's a fair thing to do. But I'm on a jihad to find out why a president of the United States would allow this to happen. I still don't know. Well, There's the, speculation the that he wants mass yeah. migration to you know, have voting patterns change in the United States as they changed in California, your home state. You know that well. Um, yep. That's the speculation. But let me get on to January 6th and the tape that you yes. released to Tucker Carlson. I'm an honest man. You know that I'm I shoot straight. I didn't get anything yes. out of that tape at all. I got nothing out yeah. of it. I got a bunch of political people screaming to me this and that. In hindsight, should you have done that differently? No, I think I think I did it right. And this is what we are doing. Right. So the Democrats told me there was like 14,000 hours of tape. Well, we find there's three, four times more than that. What I did, I didn't release the tape. I let Tucker's people come in and see it, just like I'd allowed you to come in and see it. I gave, I gave a, um, a forward ability for those who are defendants to come see it. I'm of belief, the more transparency you are, the, the more honest, but also the American people have a right to know this. So but they're they can confused see and about make their own judgment. But Americans are well, confused. It's politicized like everything is. That's the yeah, problem. But it, was but it was politicized from the very beginning yes, it was. where Pelosi would not let. And so what I'm trying to do is take the politics out of it because I don't predetermine. Let people show and see what it is. All right. And that's Last what you question. continue to see. Yes. As Speaker of the House, do you have any role in the upcoming Republican primaries at all? I mean, do you speak to Trump and DeSantis and Nikki Haley and whoever's going to get in? I mean, what's your role in that primary system? I have no official role to pick and choose who should be the person. But as speaker and as individual who knows all, I talk to all of them all the time. I Look, they're out on the road. They're hearing feedback. I want to hear it. But I also want them to know what we're doing in the House from the same perspective. So, I, so there's no I favoritism. In the end, will you endorse? I mean, you know, after the debates and stuff, will you throw? I, th I, I mean, think I think there is a very good chance I can endorse, but I don't determine who's going to win or others. But I think I need to work with whoever is going to be our nominee. And I got to work. But with you may endorse before uh, the actual vote. Could, you might yeah. say I'm the Speaker of the House yeah. and I think this is the best person. You might do that. Yes. Yes. All right, I hope you come back here and tell us because we really like appreciate to. it. You know, I, I, and I'm not, I know how it works, and I've been doing this a long time. You didn't have to do this interview. And I just want my audience to know that I ran into you at the Super Bowl. We had a nice conversation. I had never met you before. And you said, hey, I'll, I'll come on and no spin news. We'll kick it around. And you're a man of your word. You're a stand-up guy. I want everybody to know that. And I really appreciate your time, Mr. Speaker. Well, I appreciate you, and I look forward to coming back. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com.